Hello and you're very welcome to Kicking Match. My name is Peter Cinnamon and this is a weekly podcast all about the Irish League. A league which never disappoints and stirring up talking points for us all to sink our teeth into. As the new era at Glentoran started this week with Roddy Macquarie taking on the East Belfast hot seat, his first assignment being the less than toasty arena of the Newry Showgrounds. The Blues convincingly won as all their title rivals drew and Portadown didn't get the three points back as their appeal against the Niffle decision to award Newry a 3-0 victory in December is dismissed by the Irish FA. And guess what? They could have really done with those points. I go straight to the man in the know to get the inside track on the whole situation. I think I'm prepared to say that January is one of my favourite periods in the Irish League calendar. It's just so much fun. Yes, you're playing Russian roulette with the game you actually want to go to going ahead due to some pitch-related drama that we've seen quite a lot. And then if you actually do get to the game, you're lucky if you leave with all your fingers intact due to just how unbearably cold it is. But despite all that, what we do have is an incredible amount of stuff to talk about. This is a week where the game's feel like they're second fiddle to a lot of the other things that have happened this week and I've got a great person that will help me go through all these topics I'm really excited to bring them back but before I do that massive thank you to all those who supported the pod last week got some lovely feedback lots of new listeners as well if you're fairly fresh to this I think you're in for a treat this week if you haven't checked out our retrospective on the life and times of Mick McDermott as Glentor manager you can go check that out uh, from last week it was brilliant and of course we'll look into that as well but this week I get to welcome back one of the godfathers of Irish League podcasting the kettle's on the fire's burning for sports journalists from the Belfast Telegraph Keith Bailey Busy week, Keith. It has been just a wee bit. It's been a busy 10 days or so. I'm just out of the Belfast Telegraph office. I haven't been working on the, the Port of Ireland story, among a few other things. So it, it has been a, a busy week. We'll jump right into that. Uh, that's been the big one that came out on Monday. You have been connected to this story from the very beginning. Give us very briefly the timeline. The headline is Port of Ireland have lost their appeal and they don't particularly agree with it. No, no, they don't. And, you know, that's that's far enough. Such is our prerogative. It's been quite, um, you know, the whole thing is a massive shame because these sort of cases are really bad for our league football, uh, for football in Ireland in general, because it, it reaches way down the levels. It's not just the top flight. This is the one we talk about. But, you know, not Breda lost three points for a really good win away, away to Newton only a few days ago, and there's another case coming up in the PIL. So, like it's it's not great. Doesn't reflect well on on football in this country. You know, if we want to talk about the Port of Down issue to kick things off, that let's take it back to the very start. I think that might be for the best because it is quite a complex case. And like, I absolutely don't blame anyone who kind of shrugs their shoulders at it or just thinks like, this is crazy. Why not have Port of Down lost the points? Because on the face of things, it's like a very minor mistake. But you know what? Not even on the face of things, it, it was a minor mistake. Let's take it way back. First week. Weekend in December, it was a Sunday. Put it on, were away to Newry City. Again, they won 3 1. But before that game, they have to submit a team sheet. You, everyone submits their team sheet 90 minutes before kickoff. On that team sheet, they uh, included the player um, Alberto Baldi, really good, good young player, Dominican Republic International, I believe. Problem was, 
he wasn't there. He wasn't near issue rounds at, at the time. But I'd say he was sick. I'm sure that's that's correct. But whatever, he, he was late. He didn't get there until 10 minutes before kickoff. Um, when Portland realised he was going to be late, they removed him from the team sheet and they put Leo Donnell. Leo Donnell, he started the game. Leo Donnell gets injured, I believe, 24 minutes into the match. Who comes on? Alberto Balde. And he plays the rest of the game. Portland go on 1-3-1. And you're at home and you're going, if you haven't heard anything about this case, you're going, what on earth's wrong with that? Well, Portland fell foul of quite a niche role. Um, I say natural, I mean, it's there, I mean, it's, you know, it's well-known football administrators, but I wouldn't necessarily expect your average fan to know about it. It's rule 28, I couldn't quote it verbatim, but the upshot of it is you're only allowed to remove somebody from the team sheet if they've been incapacitated. Also, and this, is, this becomes quite important later on, you also have to inform the opposition of your intention to change the team sheet. So, Baldy taken out of the team, on the subs bench, brought on. Problem, because he was brought on, the implication of that is he isn't incapacitated, because how can he be incapacitated if you successfully play you know, even one minute of the game? But in this instance, I think it was about an hour, an hour a bit of the game. And that, that would tell you that he wasn't incapacitated and therefore put it on broke rule 20H. It was the day that England, I believe, beat Senegal in the World Cup and I was sitting at home having quite a quiet afternoon thinking that my main work thing that I was going to have to do was, you know, post up a report on, on the England game from, from Qatar. Uh, and I got a phone call from Ardeth saying they got word of this story and I seem to have gained a reputation. I don't know why for... Uh, for writing these stories, so they asked me to look into it, and my first reaction was, nah, there's nothing to this, this is a small beer. And the first couple of conversations I had with sources, and I multiple sources, was I started off like, mm, don't know, this, there's nothing to this, then it became, well, you know, there's an issue of sport integrity here, and then it quickly sort of dawned on me later, and probably not even after we published the first story, that you know, it could really be an eligibility issue because if he's incapacitated and he came on and the rule says you're not allowed to play, if you're not allowed to be taken out of the team if you're incapacitated, then you play and that implies he's incapacitated and that implies that he's ineligible to play in that game. So it's a, it's a very unique one. Like quite often these are very straightforward and whatever anybody tries to tell you at Grand Forum, the Joe Crow one last year was straightforward. I heard about that the way home from a different game and knew straight away that Grand Forum were going to get kicked out of the Irish Cup. There's no two ways about it. This was much more complicated and right up until today, I didn't know what way we would go on the appeal. But anyway, at that point, you know, to pick it up where we left off on the Sunday night, I phoned just before they published the article. I, I called put it down for comment and I, I called Niffle for a comment and Niffle said that, and Yuri for comment as well, um, and, and Niffle said at that point that they'd be investigating the issue then on i believe it was friday that week niffle announced that borderline would be the game result of the game would be a 3-0 win to new city and a 500 pound fine for borderline and and like a lot of people i I was quite surprised because you know with the let's say the joe crew one you know, there's a, a rule there that if you've committed, like if you played a suspend player, Joker was an Irish Cup game, so it's slightly different, but that's for sake of argument, say it was a league game. You know, if you played a suspended player, an eligible player, you know, it's black and white, it's it's a 3-0, the opposition. 
This one, you know, is a little bit more complex. There wasn't a rule within 28 that says if you break 28, then, you know, it's it's 3-0 to the opposition. But, you know, Niffle, obviously, the, you know, it's a competitions committee. Put a bit of work into it, put a, you know, looked into, looked into the rules and interpreted the rules in a way that, that led to where we are now. But I appealed, as you'd expect, as is the right, as is absolutely any club in the country would do. No criticism there. And it went to appeal. It was heard by the IFA's appeals committee. And what's different? The NIFL uh, competitions committee is made up of members of, of the clubs. So you would have representatives, not of every club, but there's a Bithmore representative, an institute representative, and a couple of others on there, if you would deal with that. And the IFA appeals committee is different because they're independent. And you've got, I was going to say QC, of course it's Casey, now King's Council on there. Um, Martin Wolf, his name is. So, that, you know, they... That's there deliberately to bring a little bit more rigor to it, a little um, independence, you know, people who aren't connected to any clubs or the leagues. So it's quite a robust system, actually. You know, people criticize it. And, you know, I think it's probably as good as you can do, really, in the circumstances. And they looked into it. And do you know what? I thought they'll probably stick with what, what Niffle decided. The hearings on Monday night, I thought it land, the report land Wednesday. And it didn't. It didn't land Thursday or Friday. And then I'm like, Put it on, I've got a real chance here. Put it on, because this is obviously a complex one if it's taken them all week. Because they had seven days and they used the full seven days, but then it landed Monday lunchtime. Uh, and there it was, it was, uh, Port Orion's appeal was dismissed. Um, so a really big blow for Port Orion. Um, it's curious, do you want to dig into the details of it? Because it is, it's pretty interesting, you know? Well, there's lots of questions from fans that I've seen and it, you're absolutely right it is complicated and when we looked here on the podcast around the original decision to remove the points from Portadown I went through the law and tried to figure out what decision has been made here what aspect of it has been broken before we get into that from your experience covering the game is there any kind of precedent that you can look upon and go, this is very similar to case X? Because around the time, a lot of people were pointing to this case relating to a game with Institute the season before, but people didn't see a lot of similarities between that. The Joe Crow one, which is brought up, that was a suspension issue. This is really clouded. It's quite foggy in regards to, to what exactly was broken. From your view... Is there a clear line where it feels as though that's the line that's been crossed and that's why the win has been removed from Portadown? You say it's it's foggy and I understand why, but like to me, the rule 20H is not foggy. Portadown broke it on two counts because they played a player who wasn't incapacitated. That would be that was my interpretation of it from day one. How can you be incapacitated if you played over an hour of the game? There's a second element to that of of um, you also, if you make a change, you have to inform the opposition. And, and Nuri have maintained throughout that they were not informed. And I put it on disagree with that. We'll dig into that because it's quite interesting. Um, but that you know, that's the rule that was broken. Whether or not that leads on to losing three points or not is is up for debate. But curiously, wasn't you know as big a part of the appeal as I thought it might have been. Um, Portaline's appeal, you know, stood on. It was really a three pronged attack. Point number one, Portadown were argued that that he was incapacitated, that 
Upper Dubalde was was ill and he was late for the game because he was sick the night before. He slept in, therefore was late for the game. He also thought it was a three o'clock kickoff, but those things combined made him late for the game, and therefore he was incapacitated. But at the time, so they can make that decision. But when it came, you know, by the time we're twenty five minutes into the game, by that point he was feeling a bit better. On he comes, and he isn't incapacitated anymore. And, you know, the, the appeals committee just didn't agree that that was possible. And, you know, they viewed it as the way I described it earlier. We said, if you play any part of the game, then surely you're not really incapacitated. So that was where, you know, one of Portland's arguments fell on. The second part is, is the Nuri, did they tell Nuri or not? And actually, this doesn't really, once the first part is proved, then this isn't as relevant anymore because you've broken the rule already but this and Sam will broke the rule in two ways this is the second way they broke the rule what is is supposed to happen is that the Porto and Physio was given the information and was told to go and tell the Nuri team as is required by rule that a change has been made now Nuri said that they never got the message Porto and say that he handed the information or told not handed hold the information to a man in a, a blue Nuri jacket in the Nuri tie. So when it came to the report, what the IFA uh, panel said was, that's not really good enough because the man in the blue jacket and the blue tie, he could be a fan, he could be security, he could be the you know the da- a dad of a player, it could be anything. Um, you really need to give it to a key member of the Nuri changing room, you know, Dan Mullen, or maybe the secretary would maybe be you know, a better option. On the other side of this, Nuri said, like, we just didn't get this message, so who knows? I don't know what really happened. I'm not even going to guess. That's, that's, that, that's new information from where I'm standing, and that's, it's just so... It is, if you have a lot of time in your hands, right, read, read the IFA document, because there is problems. When I originally talked about this a couple of weeks ago, or whatever, it was months ago, I had loads of questions. I was like, was the ref told? It seems like Jamie Robinson was. The ref was told. Then, but then that's actually a good point. I'm glad you brought that up, right? Because a lot of people will say the referee was told Jimmy Robinson's told, therefore it's fine and it's Jimmy Robinson's fault. That's not how it works, right? So the referee's job is to implement the laws of the game, you know, the, the FIFA laws, if you like, not the not to adhere to eligibility rules or things like that or niffle rules. This is a niffle premiership yeah. rule. So it's it's not Jimmy Robinson's job. It's not his role to, to implement those those rules. You're, you're absolutely right. I think you're correct to highlight that. So from the information we have, referee was told that seemed to be fine. There's not real clarity over, and the onus wasn't ported on to make Nuri aware of yeah. that. But you also believe from your reading of this that the key moment was when Alberto Balde crossed the white line. If he sat on that bench, because I remember seeing Comet earlier that day and seeing the teams and then not seeing Alberto Balde on the pitch. Was the point where Leo Donnellan starting, was that almost when something had went awry? No. It was the, it was the moment Alberto was substituted on. Yeah, because he, you know, Alberto Balde, I mean, it is questionable before them, but like Alberto Balde coming on, you're playing somebody that you've taken out of the team because they're incapacitated and now you're bringing them on so they can't be incapacitated. That is... No, I know Nalakari like disagrees with that and believes that you know you can be incapacitated to the point where you can't start a game and then can come on and, and feature at the end of a game. You know, you, and you get that like players like 
yeah, Gaffer, I can I can give you half an hour today, sort of a thing. And that's I, I can see that side of things, but that's not how it's been interpreted by either Niffle or by the FA uh, Appeals Committee. So that, that's where the, that's where we're going to set up. Those are the two things. The first one is the main one. The second one about the the man in the blue coat is quite entertaining. The third part of Portadown's appeal, and this is the one that they had, I don't know if they had the best case on, but it's interesting, and it, and it maybe is something that will make people feel a little bit uncomfortable, and that's the, the Thomas McBride case, which is what you were referring to there. Yeah. It was the Institute Arts case back in 2019. I remember it very well. I was in the press box reporting for the North Chronicle, and for the Hostelier office as well, it was beside Michael Clark, who was coming, commenting in the game for Radio 4 on the day. Um, and before the game, we had the team sheets, and we were like, there's team sheets. And then we got a message saying, Thomas McBride is out of the team. And Michael and I were like, right, okay. Thomas McBride's out of the team. Then in the second half, despite not being on the team, the se- the team sheet, the second team sheet at all, Thomas McBride comes on and plays. And at the time, and then Stuart won 3 0. And at the time, I was like, well, that's odd. And we did, and I, you know, I wrote about it in the, the Belfast Telegraph night, that night, and Michael talked about it on, on Radio 4 at the time. And we, I don't know, I don't know if Michael took it any further. I remember that I took it, I asked Niffler about it, and, and essentially they said there's no wrongdoing here. And that's the Belfast Telegraph article we had shared about quite a bit. They, from what I understand, they spoke with the match day referee, and the match day referee said, um, there was no wrongdoing as far as he was concerned. Everything was above board. Now that's not really like that's not great because it's not really the referee's job to say um, whether or not, as we discussed, you know, that's not the, the referee's job to uh, to implement that sort of thing. So if I'm a line fan, I'd be annoyed about that because the institute weren't even investigated into. The thing about it is, Niffle in 2019, I think they got it wrong. If they followed the rules. Then Institute should have lost that game. They should have it should have been handed to to Ards as a three 0 win. Maybe what crowded at the time was Ards didn't appeal that night. Call Nixon was sacked as Ards manager, and there was a lot of other stuff going on on Ards. Like I had pointed out, Michael had pointed it out to the Ards officials who were in the in the press box at the time, but they you know they weren't interested in appealing it because they didn't think it was. The right thing to do, or maybe more importantly, they had other things in their mind, i.e., trying to recruit Warren Feeney. <laughs> but it, it didn't go any further. And I think Niffle got it wrong. I think they should have investigated it. They nearly didn't appeal the Put It On case. So it was very, very similar circumstances. So Niffle really should have looked into it. But here's the thing, and, and Put It On fans would be rightly saying, like, well, that sets a precedent. So this should be exactly the same. It's not how it works. If if Niffle have made a mistake in the past, that doesn't mean that they are duty bound to continue to make that mistake forever. So Institute got away with it and Portadown didn't, and it's no more complicated than that. And I would be annoyed by that if I was Portadown fan, but that, that's the reality of it. One thing that keeps coming up, which I think should be noted, at least from someone in my perspective, is that whoever brought this or highlighted this uh, as a case or, or made Niffle aware of it is completely irrelevant. It's been banded about this frustration fingers being pointed as if they caused this to happen it's completely irrelevant doesn't matter who the person was i have no clue who it was it doesn't really matter one that's irrelevant two you were talking about team sheets being changed that's happened to me look i haven't been covering league and 
kind of a serious role for a long time but even in my short year being given team sheets i've had times where what's been printed out at one they change it changes and you're oh okay scroll them out there playing it so that that can happen it's not like once it's in it whatever time it is two o'clock half one that's it set so that can change well it changes all the time yeah so with that being said keith i, I think a, a part that i want to talk to you about and you can stop me if you want you reported this late on the Sunday, which when it came out, the the, the win happened and later on that day. It came out on Sunday night. So it came out on the Sunday of the game. I've seen it myself. You have received, as a journalist, a lot of blowback and a lot of abuse online from a, a variety of accounts and people. I think it was completely uncalled for, clearly. It absolutely crossed the line on numerous occasions that I saw. Can you tell me what your experience has been like with that uh, and as a journalist receiving those attacks online? It's definitely disappointing. You know, it was my, it was my dad who spotted me being called the C-word by a Port of fan on Ashley forums to which I logged on to read it and then read a whole load of other comments. And like, I don't know, if Stephen Beacon was here, CB Denny, they'd probably like brush it off and be like, that's no big deal. But like, I didn't read it all and like, it's not nice. It isn't nice, but it's also like also you know you put things into perspective, and it's not that big a deal. And you know you have to be like as a journalist, criticism is valid, so you've got to be ready for that. Um, abuse is not fair and not valid, but you know there's a lot of people in football who get a lot worse than that. So I'm not really you know I'm not making a massive deal of it at all, and I have no issues with borderline. I, I will be there again, I'm sure at some point in the future, and I. Uh, I would expect to get a good reception, and I'll certainly, you know, I've dealt with the club of and had had no issues. So no, it, there's no like, yeah, it isn't nice, but it's also not that big a deal. I'm not uh, the portions. But being able to report stories and to uh, sometimes be the one that come up with it first, and being able to sometimes challenge clubs, and not that you were challenging Port in this situation. That's a real key part of being a journalist here, and. Uh, I, I just, it was a very unique case from what I've seen where I saw a lot of people all just, just they threw their frustration with this case towards you as if you were somehow involved when actually you're completely outside the case. Just because you were the one reporting on it does not, does not make it go away. Yeah, you not reporting on it does not mean it, it goes away. No, no, and that, that's true. That's the thing. Like, and sometimes like, you know, newspapers can be a bit guilty of it. We'll chuck in there as exclusively revealed and Belfast Telegraph and our report led to this. Listen, the reality is if nobody ever reported on this, it would have still happened. Like, it wouldn't have changed it. It wasn't journalists getting, you know, reporting on the story that pushed it over the line. That's, that's just, that's just not reality. Um, You know, like, because we reported on it, Nuri didn't have to put in an appeal. If we hadn't reported on it, Nuri may have had to put an appeal to start Niffle's investigation. So it might have changed it slightly, but like, let's be real with it. It would have, it would have happened anyway. Yeah, like some of the criticism in the very early days were like, "This is a non-story. This is ridiculous. This is so small time." And and like again, going back to what we talked about at the start, like I understand why people thought that because it does seem like a really smaller, but it was a story. Like Niffle were investigating and. And it became apparent to me pretty quickly that like Portadown had something to worry about. So yeah, listen, I've I've no issue with Portadown or Portadown fans. It's all all good as far as I'm concerned. It's it's just part of the job. And um, you know, the, I'm you know, journalists like to break exclusives, and we got that one first, and I reported that first, and was pleased with that. And you know, Mark McIntosh, he was him. He uh, he went he got first this morning with the uh, Portadown's 
losing the case. So, you know, he'll be pleased with that. So, like, this is how it works. Well, even if this was thrown out and there was no investigation to be had or poured down where, you know, the disciplinary committee said nothing to see here, that still did not make the story any more relevant at the time. Quickly on this, that leaves Portadown unless they want to go to arbitration, which seems unlikely, but we haven't seen. Um, Portadown are 12th. They've been bottom, pretty much bottom all season. Five points. Dungannon are, are, are sitting significantly above them. Now Nuri are, are still, was it 13 points ahead of them? It all but seals their fate, bar big run, really, doesn't it? Not, no. not exactly, I, I, but it you know really what? does put a yeah. massive... A, a massive boulder in their way. This would have been a big swing if they got it. And it makes my very difficult uh, for for Portadown for Alcari. He's finding himself in a similar situation twice, taking over as Portadown manager when they're they're in difficult spots. Um, yeah, it's funny actually. This how like I would say when this news first broke back in December, Dungannon were were pretty pleased about it. Now they're probably like we'd rather the points came off. Swip, yeah, <laughs> I had the same conversation with Dungana once. It's funny it's... how these things change, isn't it? Then go back to something. I'm sorry to drag back to what we're talking about. You said like about how you know whoever broke the story or whoever first spotted it like shouldn't be blamed. That's really important. You hit on something really important there. Like it, that is part of a really bad Northern Irish culture, which is essentially tights out, tights get shot. You know what I mean? It's that sort of like mentality of like the problem here is the person who touted and like. That's not how it works because, like, a rule was broken and a more you know people spotted it. And I, I didn't wasn't you know I was tipped off about it, but like plenty of people spotted it. It wasn't so. Listen, that's not right. And I think like what's really important from these cases is you know put it on or or not radio or other clubs who've been caught up in this sort of thing. They can be angry at Niffle. They can be angry at the FA Appeals Committee. They can blame journalists if they want. They can look at the opposition and say the opposition did the wrong thing. But if you do all those things, you blame those four things, you don't learn anything from it. What you got to do is you got to think about like, okay, we do feel hard done by here, but let's accept that we made a mistake and like put practices in place to make sure that we don't make that mistake again. And I, you know, and hopefully for the will we'll learn from that and, and, Listen, Peter, Peter Arnford, the journal wasn't there that day, and I actually suspect if he had been, then maybe this wouldn't have happened. So there's a lot of unfortunate circumstances in it. There's a broader question, actually, uh, about whether the punishment fits the crime, and that's a curious thing in, in our... That's what I was thinking. That's a bit, It's a big swing for this, which seems somewhat minor. Like it... Yeah, it is, it's like a really... What you get a lot in Aristic football is that there just isn't really room for leeway in the rules. It's like, well, you've done this, so it's 3-0 and 500-point fine or whatever it happens to be. I don't really have an answer for this because if you change the rules and make them more open to allow Niffle or the IFA, you know, more room to do other types of punishment, like just fines or warnings or whatever, rather than giving the 3-0, then you leave yourself open to people, you know, saying there's double standards or whatever, because one thing could be punished one way and another another way. This is much cleaner, but, you know, other leagues around Europe don't do this to the same extent that we do. So, you know, it, it's it's something to think about perhaps, but I think maybe what might be good is if we had a bit more administration education. Now there already is, to be fair, like NIF, like the IFA run like Comet, like Comet um, 
workshops. They already exist, but call it the system where where teams input their players. That, that's another one, isn't it? It's like it, it's all Comet's fault. Comet's not fit for purpose. Comet had literally nothing to do with this case. It, it was done on Comet, but like wouldn't have made any difference if it was the pen and paper dice. Maybe more education. It already exists, but let's maybe ramp it up. There, there's bound to be ways that we can improve the standard of admin in this country because it, like this just happens way too often. I mean, this is the third this season because Warren Point, and nobody noticed, right, because they lost the game anyway, but Warren Point, Warren Point had, had a game turned into a 3-0 right at the start of the season. So that's three cases in the NFL senior leagues, and there's one to come in the PIL, so that'll be four, if, if that's found guilty. And let's hit on the Nog Breeder one because I want to separate fact from fiction. You read online, it was a spelling error where they've now lost the points with a no. Hegarty what's what's the truth here Hegarty one year two oh. year, right it's not this is about Comet now this one is and I, like the sort of myth that will be put about is even though I tried quite carefully to explain it in the article I wrote about it that the not be punished for a spell mistake that's sort of that's not true that's not true basically on Comet there were two Kieran Hegarty's now it's only one bloke it's still Kieran Hegarty the 25 year old midfielder ex-Lauren Lauren Tech old boys like their comrades um, but there were two accounts for the same player, one with his name spelt incorrectly with one G and one with his name spelt correctly with two Gs. Not be the, I guess, in a rush to get the, the the signing through so he could play in the game. They selected the wrong account um, and therefore the transfer that he, he was with Lauren Tech Old Boys, that was his previous club. So we actually hadn't transferred from the old club because they used this old account. Now this, so this feels yeah. very like birthday. It is technically a misspelling of his account. Same player history, same name, all about G. Player, player history is slightly different, right? Because this count was a ban, not a ban. It was still there to be picked. You can still select it, but it, like it hadn't been updated since twenty eighteen. Whereas there's a new one which had been updated since twenty eighteen and, and not updated secondly picked the wrong account then they played them so you can look at it one way and say well that's so small that's such a small error that's an honest error there's no harm intended so that's a ridiculous decision okay well the other way of looking at it is in that game when Knockbreed beat Newton 2-0 they played a guy who's registered to Lauren Tech Old Boys is still a Lauren Tech Old Boys player and could have played for Lauren Tech Old Boys the next day legally right so I, I guess it comes back to that that precedent thing. It just says you can't you can't be regarded as like close. This seems so close, and I, a mistake I feel like all of us could see ourselves making. You look at it and go, you can't just say, "Well, you were close," and this is frustrating. But like when Linfield picked the wrong John Smith, it's like, well, well, what can you do about it? So again, three points feels very harsh here, but I'm not the board. And, and this the is board. the thing where I maybe went down before. Could we have like other punishments there? But, you know, he was an elder for that game because he was a Lauren Tech Old Boys player. There was a Lauren Tech Old Boys player on the field. So I, I feel really sorry for not being with it. And I feel sorry for Bordeaux as well. And and it's curious. And sometimes these these sort of things, people go like, oh, there's the pen pushers. There's the there's media. There's the rules nerds who all don't understand football. And real you know, proper football men know how it really works. And, and But, like, do you actually need rules to, like, have... Football, you need like there needs to be a framework there to allow things to happen in a fair way. So, like, it, you know, it's just it's not it's not much fun, really, is it? 
Again, the way this goes away is by stop doing it. Everyone's learned a lesson throughout the league now from both these two cases. Hopefully, we'll never talk about something similar to this again, but we just know how the Irish League is. Until next time. Until next week. I'm going to tell you a record, Keith, and you're going to have to tell me who it is. 197. Drew 31, lost 43, a win ratio of 57% as a manager. Who am I talking about? Is it me, I'm football manager? Oh, oh, come on. I know you have a far higher win ratio than that. Taking odds to yeah. the Champions League and the new Super League with, I don't know, Borussia Dortmund and Verona. It was, of course, the managerial record of former Glenn Torn boss. Mick McDermott. Mick McDermott. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Marshall Gillespie, for that. He put that out online. Last week was very much the the preview, the prelude to him stepping away. We didn't get there. He's nicked in just before we were able to talk about it. So you can listen back to the history somewhat of Mick McDermott joining Glenn Torn and then now stepping away from the sideline. I didn't think he was going to do it. Were you surprised when he stepped away and gave Rodney Macaria a go at the hot seat there in East Belfast? Yes and no. Um, I mean, there, there was that kind of feeling. I think most people thought, which is what you're getting at, that he was just going to hang in there and he didn't really care and he was going to ride out the criticism. But um, Mick McDermott's human. I spent a bit of time with him. Um, he's made a fair amount of mistakes since time in Northern. I think he's taken on battles and arguments with people that were unnecessary, and I think some of those have come back to haunt them. I also don't think he's like an absolutely dreadful person by any shape of the imagination. I think he's more. He's a very. He's, he's one of the few panto villains in yeah. this league, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's... I mean, he bought that on himself by like steaming in the arguments that he didn't need to steam into. Um, my favourite one of them, you know, like there's arguments with the County Andrew FA over what a Shield final be on. And there's that one where he, remember he went off and around about how he, the Irish League would be. Uh, was it Mickey Mouse he said if we played at the same time as the World Cup? I mean, that was just wrong, right? Because we played at the same time as the World Cup and it was completely fine. I mean, maybe we missed a wee bit of like Holland and USA that time, but it was all right. Like, and he obviously wanted to go to the World Cup because he did anyway. So yeah, there's all there's all sorts of kind of funny wee quirky things like that. But yeah, also like I, I don't really use the worst worst book in the world, but like was I surprised he went at the end? No, because like that. You know the criticism he was getting, the car park protest. You know it was it was a peaceful protest or a non-violent protest outside it, but still we were pretty intimidating. We talked a little bit about abuse and like I got a wee bit from Puerto Rican fans. I mean I didn't like that. What he got was ten million times worse. So that no matter how much of a front he put on, like that must have hurt. We put a lot of time. The Gun Torn and your Gun Torn fan. If you're Gun Torn fan, you may disagree with absolutely everything he said. But he still put a lot of effort into it. I'm sure it hurt him. Rodney Macquarie is somewhat the continuity candidate there. He was a part of the club and being a part of the, the behind the scenes there. He's stepping in after being a manager for both Cole Reynard and Gannon Swifts. This is a this is a big opportunity for him. Yeah, it is a big opportunity for him. I mean, he did a great job with Dungannon. He, he worked really hard. He's an impressive guy. He's, he's famed for being a good coach, you know, and I mean that on the technical side of things and putting on great sessions. You know, most people in football would tell you that. Um, didn't really work for him at Korea. And it wasn't a complete disaster. You know, they were they were pretty close to to qualifying for Europe. Um they weren't but he was in he was in the shadow there. They weren't Kearney Spectre oh, hung over Kearney. the whole thing because there was always yeah. that sense that like Oren had 
had left with Scotland, but there was always a possibility he might leave. Rodney had the same background staff as as what as what Owen had, so then it was really yeah. easy for Corey to just get rid of him and bring Owen back in when when everything happened the way it did. And you know, he probably got a bit of he was a bit unfortunate though the circumstances weren't ideal. It was really important that he brought in his own coach here uh, at Glen Torn, and he's done that and bring in John Gregan. That's a really important step. Um, so that that's great for him. I mean, I think he'll do. I think he could do a good job. But I think he could, he is capable of winning the league. Um, with no, I don't think this season. I, I suspect that it's maybe maybe too far. It's not too far gone on paper, but I think like it would just be a, a big effort. Other teams have the momentum, but I mean, I definitely think he's capable of winning the league in the future. There, the big question everybody ask is like, is he really picking the team? And, and like to be honest, I, I don't. I have no doubt that he will. He will have free reign, you know. Like McDermott is still on the board, as is Paul Miller, and I've no doubt they will have their say and they will they will tip in. But I think you know, Rodney will have learned a lot from that Korean experience, and and he'll want control of things. So I don't think he would have taken the job if he if he thought that you know there was somebody else knocking the door saying, "Here, you're not playing him left back." So I, I don't think that's the way it'll, it'll work. Will he be forgiven coming at this time and not getting Europe? I discussed last week with Matthew Brown from Shout at the Oval podcast about how not qualifying for Europe a second season in a row is a disaster for a club like Glentoran. Has this spell been so damaging that ultimately, if it doesn't happen, they don't get into Europe this year, he, at least, Macquarie I'm talking about, will be forgiven for that? Or has he got to deliver now? I think he should be forgiven for it. Um, I, I certainly don't think like it should be a case of if they finish fourth and go out in the semi-finals of the Irish Cup or whatever, he should be sacked. Like, I think that would be that would be really unfair because he's inheriting the team that in a really difficult situation where they're on a really bad run and morale's low. And, you know, I, no, I think he's great chance qualifying for Europe and, and that should, like, that's a realistic aim for him between now and the end of the season, but it shouldn't be, like, a sacking matter if they don't do it. Um, if, it, you know, you got to give him... I always think you got to give managers, like, at least a year... And you got to give them two transfer windows, absolute minimum. Um, so yeah, you got to give the man a bit of time. You know, it's a, it's a curious thing. Ventoran's setup on Rallypur has always been has always been curious. And the biggest thing that you know people will talk a lot about what really went wrong for Mick McDermott was the results, and and that Ventoran fans, you know, I'll let Ventoran fans argue over whether the results were good enough or not. Like my problem with it always was like it is inherently wrong for somebody to be a manager and also be on the board like the whole purpose of a board is at a football level or league level is to hold the managerial team to account i don't see how it was ever possible for the management team to be held to account when both the manager and the assistant manager on the board it's just it's just not good governance so i think it's a good thing that that um that era has come to an end and you know paul miller was Assistant manager, he's now just on the board, so I think it's it's a move in the right direction for Glentor. Many traditions in this league, none will feel more nostalgic for me, quite like the Joe Gormley to Glentorn rumour. It came round again, but it's irrelevant. He signed a, a new deal with Cliftonville. Was that ever in the offing again? Was there a time where it could have happened over the past few years? It's probably not going to happen now, but uh, just to see that come around again. Kind of worn my, the cockles of my heart slightly. Yeah, I talked to Paddy McLaughlin about this after the Dundella Cup win, and like he was 
really confident Joe was staying, no doubt about it, in his mind. And I think that probably was the case. You know, Joe was a, a, a good player, of, well, one of the greatest Arctic strikers ever. He's not be slow either. I think that, like, interest from other clubs, articles in the paper, probably doesn't him no harm. Um, he was very close to signing for Crusaders a few years before that. But, you know, he can use those sort of talking to other clubs and rumours or whatever to, you know, maybe try and get a better contract with the Reds. Whatever, he's worth it. Man's brilliant. Man's an absolute legend. Every club wants a Joe Gormley. And when I say that, I don't just mean Joe Gormley, right? Well, every club wants that that guy who is not only brilliant football, not only scores loads of goals, but stays at your club for years and years and years. Jordan Owens is another example. Like, a, you know, those guys are, are so rare in football. Um, and so what if they, they get a good contract? They're worth it. Jimmy McGrew signed a new contract today. Um I, I, I saw that. It's a part of a, a bigger trend that I feel we're seeing in the league recently of players continuing to play on in what would be considered the the twilight of, of their career. Do you think that's the professionalism coming in where now football is such a bigger part of their life? Could you imagine giving up your career at 34? It's like, I'm still ready to go. I'm still going to keep going. And perhaps the professionalism of the league recently, knowledge when it comes to nutrition and fitness and all that type of stuff means that we are seeing what we've seen in the conference and, and lower ends of, of English football for a long time where players are playing into a, a lot later time in their 30s. I mean, maybe, right? But like, I'm of the, this is my generation, right? You're going to be in... Colin Coates and Jimmy McGrew and all those guys, like, I'm from that same era. And, like, I feel like we were definitely pre-nutrition. We obviously weren't, right? But it's like, like, it wasn't as big a thing in, uh, you know, 2004 when those sort of guys were coming out of school. Yeah, the, the, the league was yeah. what this podcast was. It was really, yeah, yeah, I mean, know. all those guys were, like, in the box or whatever on a Saturday night, 2005. So, I mean, I think it's a miracle that any of them are still playing for a play. And they came through... Uh, a different era of, of nights out and kebabs and stuff. So. Well, you know, Keith, sometimes a, a bloke turns 31 and it's either it's over or they're they're hitting the gym hard. I've seen it, you know, sometimes it goes one way or the other. Yeah, no, listen, those guys, I think, why do those guys still play on? I think they're great competitors because they are have a real passion for our game because they're fantastic players and clubs want to keep them. Um you know, I think that's why they keep playing. I think there's there's players like that in every generation, but you know, that's a, that's a special a special generation. The Coates, McGrew, Gormley, those guys, a lot of lot of respect for them. They're great ambassadors for our game. They're still guys that like they're guys that people in the street know who maybe only see our Ashley TV on Newsline for two minutes a week. You know, they're the names they know, and they've been winners in the past. Um, I have to jump to this. It really stood out to me when I saw it uh, come out. Uh, you're a man that spends a, a fair bit of time following the championship. Johnny McMurray goes from Crusaders. He was transfer listed with them to Warm Point. He returns to Warm Point in the championship for an undisclosed fee. That knocked my socks off when I saw it. Is this a case of just he wants a new home? Is this shows the commitment to Warm Point are making to... Uh, was it Barry Gray said not be playing in cow sheds anymore? Yeah, I mean, that was quite a common for Barry Gray. I, I like Barry Gray. He's got like a good turn of phrase and he's always an entertaining interview. I spoke with him on Saturday. I don't know if in this, well, you know, he, some of the facilities in the championship are pretty, he's, he's got a point. Um, I don't think one point is that salubrious, but, you know, 
listen that John Murray, why is he signed for one point? Well, you know, they paid a transfer fee for him, and I'm sure they probably gave him a decent wage. It's a two and a half year deal. It's very much a case of he's a quality player. He will score the goals to get them up, and then he will maybe be the man to score the goals to keep them up. And and one point are really well placed, by the way. Like you know, it's on the cards now. Last time I was on the show, like August. I was really blown away by Lock All, and, and I was, and they were fantastic. And they have slipped back from that level, and now one point are the team that are coming through. And Anna are there too, as well. And, you know, they're they're part of it, absolutely no doubt about it. Gone to my head. If I had to pick a team to win the championship right now, I'd say one point. I saw them on Saturday, and an absolutely insane game, which was more like a game of ice hockey than it was a game of football. Uh, I watched one point beat Ards 5 3, and Barry like, Flynn ran out of adjectives. He was. He, he did, and I was a man who has many adjectives up his sleeve. Um, it was just a great game of football. Um, <laughs> and Warren were brilliant. Like, they deserved to win it. Um, Stephen Ball, left back. Oh, brilliant player. Um, and, and somebody. Absolutely yeah. underrated. He was one of the. I'm so surprised he didn't beat Yeah, it's strange he's not in the Premiership now. He should. He should. Um, and you know they played really good football, and they were worth it. Um, like Ards' defending at times wasn't the best. Yeah, no, I one point our team who are moving on up the table. So are the Welders, but then they're uh, they uh, just too bit of a slow start there <laughs> to get involved. Yeah. Well, a, a team was at the top, sitting pretty, and it's all starting to get a bit shaky for them potentially in the championship. They've now lost potentially their best striker, Nettis Michaelitis, going to Carrick. In January? Yeah. That had, seems like a, a bold move on both parties' sides. Yeah, I had a good chat with, with Dean Smith, the local manager, off the back of their defeat to the Welders on New Year's Day. And he was very much, I said to him, like, your job in January is keeping the squad together. He's like, yeah, and we can do that because our players are pro. So that's a very, when I say pro, I don't mean full-time pro. I just mean they are professional players and they get paid so many mm-hmm. people. So well, the majority of players in the championship are registered as amateurs. And what that means is a premiership, well, any club can come in and just take your players. We've seen it, like, put it on signed Dundella, right? So, like, Dundella have lost a lot of players and will not get any money from them. Lock all, on the other hand, signed their players pro, one point do it as well, arts do it. So then some clubs are, like, mixed for half or pro and half for amateur. But it, it's quite important. But it, it's interesting in the case of Maculitis that what... Smith said to me was if anybody wants our players you're going to have to pay for them so Carrick did Carrick coughed up for for Nidus. Uh interesting to see how he does he's, he's, he had a really good first half of the season I think though the like local they went and signed Killen Lockland at the back of that and they maybe would have felt that at that point that what they actually needed more was a centre back because in centre forwards you know there's, there's like Sahoe there and there's there's other they brought Aaron Duke in who's kind of a proven Goal scorer from the Middlestar League area, so or the Middlestar area. So I guess they they figured that you know. Would there be any question of that club going up? I still remember teams coming up from the championship. Very much the case of will they go for the license lock all this time round? If they were to finish first, would there be any doubts over them going for their license? And would Lakeview qualify as a Premiership ground? Because I know Anna United's wasn't going to qualify for various reasons to be a championship ground that's why there's all this talk of them going cool rain if they beat ported down in the playoff could lakeview park be a place which could see premiership football if they qualified 
this season. Right, so I think the days of teams not going up because they don't have licenses is over because what teams do nowadays is they will arrange a loan with somewhere. So they'll say, you actually mentioned Anna won the Corey and it seemed like mad because of the distance involved, but entirely possible that you arrange a temporary move. Um, then you move to that ground, you play however long it takes, could be two two weeks, it could be two years. And at the same time, you try and upgrade your ground, get it up to premise of standard so you can eventually move back. Allen's ground isn't good enough. Uh, one point says, Loco, I think Lakeview like like has hosted Premiership football before, but the standards have gone up since then and Loco hasn't improved. So I, I think that, that they would need a share, but they probably wouldn't be as far away from it as what Anna would be. So it would maybe be like a temporary share and then get a bit of work done and, and, and change things and, and come back to Lakeview eventually. Good bit to go on all those things though. Most of the stuff that went down this week very much happened off the pitch. Uh, there is a brand new GM of Linfield. His name is David Graham. He is the former head of communications for Rangers. He replaces Pat Fenlon, who returns uh, to the League of Ireland. Uh, of course, he had a, a brilliant managerial career. Looking back on his time in that role with Linfield, he was the person that harboured, helped guide Linfield, that transition into a full-time club. What kind of legacy does he leave uh, in South Belfast? I mean, I thought it was one. You know, he's overseen the transition to... Um full-time professionalism and the, the transition, you know, a period of upheaval with changes to the stadium and, uh, and whatever, you know, uh, I think he, it's hard to judge a GM really, I guess. Um, but like, I think, you know, Linfield have, have obviously enjoyed a really good run with so many league titles in the last few years with, with David Haley and then popping in there as, as general manager. So yeah, I, you have to say he has done a good job. Like anything, it is kind of hard to, judge these things sometimes um david graham comes in obviously experienced he was dep counselor and he was also head of media at rangers and you know you could see like he was a slick operator um was at the press conference and he has that look about him of a man who's got the final three on the apprentice he kind of has that kind of like slick look going on um but you know, he spoke well. He had like he had a few sound bites lined up about you know fixing the roof while the sun shines and stuff. And you know, we, with the media we talked about a few things with him. We talked about the possibility of summer football, and he, without really kneeling his as far as the mask, you know, he he was in favour of it, and you know, he wants to encourage more professionalism at Linfield and improve areas of the the club. So yeah. It, it was relatively interesting um, for what it was. I met him on Saturday. I agree very much a, a impressive presence. He gave a stormer of an interview on Sports Sound there on Saturday where he hit kind of the greatest hits of Irish League topics pretty much. He started with the, the pitch at Windsor and I was there covering the game and I must say not to be hyperbolic but it really was in poor nick it didn't have the same coloration that you saw at newry if you look back at the highlights in that game but i mean the middle third it was mm. I, I described it as deer on ice it was a slipping and sliding everywhere uh we've seen that uh david healy has criticized the state of the pitch what's the standoff here in regards to it 
is this the IFA's role to sort this pitch out? Is the onus on Linfield? Who who needs to step up here? It's the IFA's ground, essentially, you know, and it's it's their job to to fix it, and it's very much in their interest to do it because like Northern Ireland need to play on it as well, and and it doesn't reflect well on on the the IFA if if Windsor Park isn't up to scratch for for internationals. Michael O'Neill certainly wouldn't be happy about it. Um, and, and like the FA held the Super Cup quite recently, and would like to get more big events like that again. You're not going to get them if your your pitch is is the way it is. So yeah, it's something that that needs to be improved. Um, I can understand why David Haley's annoyed about it. Uh, it seems I I'm sort of I don't know a lot about uh, ground maintenance, so I no, don't no. I don't know what the the particular issue is, the specific issues, but like. It, it, it looks poor when compared to, you know, other grounds even in the Belfast area that are grass pitches. You go to somewhere like Dundella, Wilger Park, and it's, you know, it's a great surface, and you see a big club like Linfield with, you know, cow patch that does doesn't really run right. So there's obviously issues there. I don't know what it is, but um, hopefully they can get it sorted because you you don't want that for the internationals. He he described a summer football as a no brainer and highlighted Shamrock Rovers now they had a number of games before they qualified for Europe this year we'll, we'll not go that down that path he said he wasn't against Sundays clearly Linfield have played a lot of games there it wasn't as forthright and as jubilant about that idea on plastic pitches he said it wasn't a fan due to potential risk of injury but said look he understands why places have them he was very critical of the standard of refereeing here it's hard to get into that sometimes because I, I see a lot of fans criticising referees and it feels like you're criticising something not going your way i think we all have our preferred referee but if we were to say look at this as an issue and want to improve refereeing what way is that because there, there isn't a lot of full-time referees about in global football really is there there's some at the top end yeah. maybe but you know how do we improve this there's a, there's a suggestion about meeting the the press conference the field press conference that maybe we you know maybe there could be full-time referees in the Irish League. Like, that's mad. Like, how is that going to happen? Where's the money come from for that? I've absolutely no idea. Like, there's not enough coming. There's not enough to fund that. I don't know. No clue where that where the money would come to do that. I think you've got to help referees. You know, there, there's no point. Like, there's a lot of like the, the narrative around this is quite often it's pretty childish. It's pretty infantile. It's like, oh, these guys are all rubbish, get rid of them all, bring, you know, like there's not that many referees in Northern Ireland. People are not queuing up to sign up to, to become referees. And when they do sign up, like they get so much criticism, some really nasty, scary stuff at, at grassroots park level that they, they walk away from the game at a young age. So like you got the guys, see the guys who are in the middle at Irish League games, say they, those guys should be respected because they have worked really hard to get there. And they have they have taken an awful lot of rubbish to get to that point. Now that doesn't mean that they can't improve, that they can't get better. But I think we should, should respect the people that are there. Let's accept that they're going to make mistakes. Let's probably be mature enough to accept that quite often when we're shouting about what a terrible mistake that they've made, that we are completely biased. Like as when I say we, I mean as in the fans. So yeah, let's be a bit more mature about it. I think like how how, how can they improve? Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's maybe, you know, how can we, let's have more contact time. Maybe 
more training, more like video analysis, more, you know, build up all that sort of stuff um, to give them better experiences. Feedback, I think, is really crucial for referees. That's what all referees tell me. So, you know, build that sort of thing up that already exists, but that, you know, ramp it up a level um, if we can. You know, let's, let's work with the guys we've got to make them better rather than like, like just being childish about it. Just as we to wrap up this section here, he did comment on the Shield final there, of course, with Lauren won on penalties. He criticised there was no ambulance there. Obviously, there was significant injury to David Walsh, the Olympic goalkeeper. He is now out, seems to be on, on, on the mend there. Um, that, that, that was a strange situation there where both teams decided to go straight to penalties. Was, was there expected to be, if they played that on, to be extra time or... I've never First seen that. First thing, right? There was an ambulance there. There was an ambulance there. It was Ambutron with her is the name of the company, right? Um, there was an issue with this where with these companies don't, they, the ambulance didn't leave to go to the hospital because if they leave and go to the hospital, then there is no medical cover at the ground in case somebody takes, takes ill within the stadium, whether that be a player or... A, a fan so there actually was an ambulance that just didn't leave and, and didn't take give a watch to the hospital which I find hard to understand I would feel like you deal with the medical emergency that's in front of you but that's the way it is apparently so that that was that seems crazy to me but that there was an ambulance there um, as for the issue where they went to the penalties now the kind of shield rules are there is no extra time they ditched that well maybe I think for the COVID season, then they just kept it in. So like that was the way it was meant to be. What happened was there was due to be Linfield had a free kick uh, down by the corner flag touchline area, and I think she and Andrew said there was about a minute left to play, and because the players had been taken off the pitch, and um, the teams Tiernan and Dave Tiernan Lynch and David Haley like agreed among themselves that uh, with with the county anthem's approval and Shane Andrews' approval, that they would just go through the penalties because the players have been off the pitch for a while, so they they you know they would have yeah. to do like a warm up and stuff, and it, it would have just got a bit messy. And it was probably like them building sacrifice the most out of that because they had the attack and free kick. So I actually thought it was a rare outbreak of common sense that that uh, went straight the penalties, and uh, you know it, it turned out to be a, an entertaining penalty shot. It was actually really important at the time that they didn't. Because there was another suggestion that they should share the shield, which one I think is a terrible idea anyway. But like, actually, if the game had been abandoned for either a replay or to share the shield, then everybody would have left, and David Walsh had to get the hospital and the ambulance. So it was actually important to have the penalty shoot out to keep everybody in the ground. So, so uh, to let David get away. So there you go. Keith, slightly different this week. We didn't get into much of the games, but just to quickly highlight some of the, the big moments from the weekend. Clearly the winners were Linfield from the fixtures that went ahead. 3-0 win uh, against Balamina. Really dispatched them with ease. The other games could have been fireworks. Some fireworks to a certain extent. Two draws in Crusaders Lorne and uh, Korean. Cliftonville, what was what was the big thing that stood out to you? What was it, Coleraine coming back and uh, and getting the draw after mistakes from their keeper, or, or what was the big headline moment you think from that weekend? Win for Glentoran was big. Win for Rod- Rodney Macquarie. What a goal! What a chip! Unbelievable! Brilliantly captured by David Carr. 
something that four really like that can't wrangle. At Steve Maguire has conceded that goal. He's conceded the yeah. Greg Murhouse goal. There yeah. was the Forsyth goal. He's he's on a he's on an unwanted highlight reel this season. Yeah, he is. Yeah, there's going to be like there, we always have the football writers. Sorry, the the NI football words. We do the uh, goal season competition. We show like a reel. There's also like a reel of like you know great goals from from the season. And Steve Maguire's back is going to be all over it. Um, yeah, that that was a very good goal. Um, I Korean coming back. I mean, listen, I've only seen the highlights and uh, read a few reports in in the papers. Uh, it seems as if Kothmore should have won that. That's a slip up on the report, but great find spur from Korean for a them They came back to get a point. Um, comfortable win for Linfield. They look they look good. Retaining, you know, I wasn't really sure about him at the start, but he's scoring goals for fun now, and he, he seems to be getting getting better and better. Um, so, yeah, it's shaping up. Crusaders did well, didn't they, right? Remember how Lauren absolutely annihilated Crusaders at Ember Park, like not that many weeks ago. Um, Crusaders went there, played quite a defensive shape. Um, I think there's nothing wrong with that. If you need to get a result away from home, maybe that's a Northern Ireland fan in me. Um, went to the job, got a good point. So it's all shaping up. Pretty interesting that at the at the top, I haven't a clue who's going to win it. It's just, and isn't that great? That's a good thing. It, it, it really is five teams in there you know Corian's the one coming up from behind and it really could go anyway Lauren have a game in hand Cliftonville currently sitting top with 50 Keith it's been an absolute pleasure to go through all the, the news picking out random stories from here and there this week thank you very much for that where can people find stuff from you Twitter's the best place or get some yeah. ink on their hands and get the bell tell yeah um, you, you can find me on Twitter search my name but uh, yeah I mean over in the Belfast Iraq, we have like a massive amount of Irish League coverage. It's 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 you know several stories every day, fresh stories. Um, you know from like myself and Graham Linney and, and Stephen Beacon. You know we're working really hard to to put together what I think is the best Irish League coverage in the game. So there's my plug. There's my. It's the first place I go to to check that I have not missed anything, and usually some weeks I do. Keith, a pleasure. Thank you so much. No Thanks for having me. Thank you, Keith. It's just me right now. We had a little window to chat with Keith and there was so much news. I just thought, let's get into all the stuff that was happening this week. I had a pages and pages of script stuff to get into, but if you were at a game or you're looking forward to some of the games that are coming down over the next week, well, hey, let's see if I can riff and do this solo for a couple of minutes. We'll see how it all goes. I was at Windsor Park for the 3-0 win over Balamina and for Linfield, of course. And I just thought that Balamina came into that game. I, I said that they had like a real deep defensive line. It wasn't really clear what formation had been set out from David Jeffrey, And it was clearly trying to stop Linfield, get the early goal and try and counter on them, which I can imagine that plenty of teams have done when they go to Windsor. It's a really long time, though, for Balamina since they've got any kind of result in the league at Windsor Park. I believe that they didn't score at all against Linfield this season and it didn't really look like they were going to score at all. The headline clearly is Eti Vertanen getting a hat-trick against them. He took all his goals really well but the interesting stat there is that he has only scored 
think he's got 12 in total in the league. But he's only scored one goal against a top six side. And I know when you listen to me, you're like, why does he keep harping on about top six versus bottom six? And that's because I think it's such a clear indicator of who is going to eventually go for the title. And yes, everyone's expecting Linfield to do what they usually do and, and keep things tight and then go on a, a big charge at the end of the season as other teams fall out. But right now, for me, Linfield need to start getting results against the big teams. They have to play the big teams to get them moving forward. So I'm not criticising they can only win the game that they have in front of them. But right now, their team I'm going to look at closely. Not only because they're near the top of the league, but because they are a team that need to step up in the big games. Because there's going to be a lot of big games. And so far, it hasn't really gone their way. I did a little table a few weeks ago and Linfield were at the bottom of that. And that was mainly due to draws and I talked about last week about how Lauren and Crusaders Cliftonville versus Coleraine about how it was opportunities for Cliftonville and for Lauren to push back this charge from Crusaders and Coleraine and get a bit of a gap between them and ultimately that didn't happen it seemed like a real turgid affair between Lauren and Crusaders both teams that didn't really want to lose the game and didn't have enough to penetrate the other to win it. Of course, Cliftonville took a brilliant 2-0 lead against Coleraine. You've got a feel for Gallagher in the Coleraine goal. He's had a run of games for Coleraine and Oren Kearney went with him. He started with him in one of their biggest games of the season and no doubt he'll feel gutted for... I guess you would say mistakes, but you know, it's an odd bounce, he doesn't handle it well, you know, he wasn't throwing into the net, his footing isn't exactly brilliant to be able to block and and save the corner that goes right in, but look, perhaps that's what Coleraine needed, a warning shot now for the rest of the season, they know that came into that game, nervous, not wanting to lose it, but when the chips were down and they knew they had to come back and fight their way to get into that game they stepped up there's a bit of scuffles on the pitch no point getting into all that fisticuff nonsense but it's a big result for Coleraine it would have been even bigger for them to to win that and push on but what that result gives them it means that they aren't out of it and that's really a, a key aspect of that and for a team like Dungannon they'll hope that that win against Glenavon helps them get out of this lower part of the season. The Gannon are like, I think I've said this before, are like they're the bottom half Crusaders. They're getting results at home. They're not getting lots of results at home. That's why they're 11th in the league. But recently, it's all starting to come together for them at home. They got a result against Newry there on Boxing Day. They've now got a result against a Glenavon side who pull a goal back back when it's 1-0 to make it 1-1 with a great goal from um, Prendergast but Dungana Swifts show a bit of fight and they get a huge three points at home and how vital could that be towards the end of the season especially now with Portadown not getting those three points back from Newry. Newry put up their own fight against Glentorn at home this is a game that was first called off on the Friday night these are two teams that need to get their games happening. They need to get going. They can't have any more games in hand. 
and Rodney McAree makes a winning start to life as manager of Glen Tord. 3-1. It all got a bit nervy for the Glens when it's 2-1 and they're down a player due to a last man tackle and a red card. But they stand tall at red card, of course, for Patrick McLean. But they are able to deal with the last, what was it, 30 minutes, 35 minutes of the game. They even get a goal. Jay Donnelly get a second one three minutes later. Newry are in a position now where it's just about holding off Portadown and trying to stay in front of the Gannon Swifts. They're not in a great run of form. They're playing a lot better in these games than the results really dictate. But it's all about results, isn't it? Uh, and right now, Newry are shy of shy of getting any any big results at the minute. It's you know, five in a row if you look at the form table. But that was last week. Let's briefly look ahead to what's coming up this weekend. Weather pending, of course. There's so many. If you're listening to this on Tuesday, there's a whole row of games. From Balamina Nuri. That's a massive game there for Nuri. Balamina is the type of team where They'll hope to try and get some points, particularly Balamina coming off such a, a limp performance against Linfield. But at home, they can be a different animal. Coleraine, host Carrick Rangers, nothing but three points for Coleraine there will do in their attempt to move up the table and be within shooting distance of a title challenge. Crusaders-Linfield, what a huge game. Linfield, like I said, are not the type of team that come into the top six and really do the business that they can dispatch and put them out of reach. It screams a draw only because that's the type of result we've seen from Linfield in these games. And perhaps at home though, Crusaders can do what they've done continuously over and over again this season and get the result. They can. They got a great result against Linfield earlier in the season at home. Can they do that again? They'll almost need to if they also want to keep close to that chasing pack. Cliff will go to Glenavon. What can you say? What can you say about Glenavon when they go from these amazing results? I've said this so many times. It's like the cliche of this podcast. They're brilliant and then they're not. They're, they are clearly better at home. It feels a lot of the times, but they were able to deal the first loss to Glen Torren and they've got other great results against Crusaders at home this season. Regardless of their poor losses against Dungannon and a thumping at the hands of Linfield, Cliftonville will be cautious. It's a busy week for them and I just, I'm just not even going to put my neck on the line there. And Glen Torren host Dungannon Swifts. A lot closer when these two teams met at the Oval than some people would have you believe. And look, Dungana could come into this. It's not like they're getting great results away from home, but they could get into this uh, and and take on a slightly wounded Glentor. And they're not out of this yet. They're finding themselves after that win against Newry. Now with McGinn settling in, they've got McCartan back. They'll, of course, be without McLean after that red card. And... It doesn't get any easier. It's such a tough week for Portadown. Not only are they told, guess what? You're not getting those three points back against key relegation rivals in Uri, but they've got to go away to Lorne. But maybe Lorne are slightly wounded feels over the top, but 
they can maybe be got at. It would be an incredible shock if Portown were to get anything from that game. But if there is a time of the season to get anything at Inver against Lauren, it's now not the time. Portadown rested after not playing a game this weekend past. They go up, bit between their teeth, angry. Could frustration be the key to one or three points at Inver Park? It'd be incredible if it would be, but Portadown have to show us that they have any sort of guile this year. They haven't really proved that at all. Yes, there's been big improvements under Nal Curry, but I think Portadown fans would take a point in any of these games. But it doesn't look likely because they've got Linfield on Saturday at Shangmar Park. Linfield will, of course, be off the back of their game against Crusaders. That would be an incredible result if they were to do anything at Shamrock Park. They were able to restrict Linfield for a long, long time earlier in the season. They'll try and hang on for as long as possible on that Shamrock Park pitch. And that's the way to attack Linfield right now. Holding them back, holding them back. Don't get too deep and don't let them overrun you. But ultimately, sometimes Linfield just turn that screw. They have a certain amount of patience, but do they have the key to unlock them? Perhaps with Joel Cooper returning from suspension, he could do what he did last time at Shamrock Park and get the win for the Blues. Coleraine go to a tough place on Saturday at 3 o'clock. Stangmore Park. But these are the type of games you need to go to if you are going to challenge for the title. This is a big, big week for Coleraine. It feels like for them, they've got to get six. Or they are shooting themselves in the foot. Tough, tough, tough game there. Cliftonville host Balamina. And also Carrick Rangers host Glenavon. A Carrick Glenavon game is a bit like a battle for seventh as it continues on. Neither of those teams are out of it just yet Cliftonville feel very strong going into that Balamina game don't they they look sharp they look hungry they look ferocious we keep talking about the Hale brothers the Sean Murr Joe Gormley plenty of attacking talent and Balamina are down a lot of players they've sold a lot of players they were changing their team up a lot David Jeffrey has to turn that team around will he do it Solitude is not the type of place which feels conducive to doing that. Guys, you've made it all the way here to the end. Thank you very much for listening in. I feel like I should do my big silly outro, but I don't need to because I've had a wee monologue talking about all those games. If you've liked this, please do follow me for more insight, more chat. Big place to do that is Twitter, or you can do it on Instagram, or you can do it on Facebook. It's all at kicking match you just type in kicking match it should be good of course if you're one of my crew one of my smart speaker collective you know how to join it you can't just say kick a match you gotta say hey smart speaker please play kicking match an irish league podcast thank you very much another cracker in my eyes all the best let's hope jack frost dilly dollies away godspeed until next week I'll see you again very soon.